right. Good, good, good. Everybody doing okay? Everybody present with us okay? Those of you on live stream, hope you're all right. Hope you're comfortable. Um, we're going to continue our current study series, but um, before we get into that, I just want to um, say and invite you to pray along with us. We are grieving uh, this morning uh, with Celeste Lee and her family and uh, Susie and John Varna, any of you know them, uh, Celeste's husband uh, passed away this morning um, from complications uh, related to COVID-19. And so um, Ralph Lee is Celeste's husband, Susie Varna's uh, dad. So we're grieving with them. And uh, so we invite you to uh, pray along with us for the family, for their comfort, um, also for others, friends and family members who are suffering right now, um, both with the illness itself and those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. And so we continue to uh, share our thoughts and prayers with you, Susie and John and Celeste. We're grieving with you. We love you. Um, we're with you and we're for you. Um, and let me take this opportunity also to say um, what, you know, what we all understand, but I think it is important to say it. It seems like collectively about this time we're all really, really weary of this virus. Um, the rhetoric back and forth, the politicization, I mean, just the whole thing, it just seems like this has gone on too long and can't we just move past it. This stands as a reminder, though, um, that this virus is real, at least for some bodies. Uh, this virus is lethal. And so um, please don't let your guard down. Please remain vigilant uh, with this, okay? So uh, so there's that. Okay, so uh, our current study series entitled Jesus Is, it is a critical question, an important question, right? This is the Jesus movement. Uh, our faith is called Christianity because it is, a, it is around the person of Jesus Christ, um, what it means to follow him actually I was just mentioned a moment ago, the idea in the writings of the Apostle Paul that um, in a manner of speaking, we can describe God's work of transformation in our individual lives as being transformed to the image of Christ. Um, so this is foundational. So, but it all begs the question then, who is Jesus? <laughs> um, and it seems like a simple question. Uh, and yet the more you dig into the question, you find out it's maybe not so simple. Uh, certainly, there are lots of answers to that question out there. Um, many answers to the question, who is Jesus, that are uh, very divergent from one another. Um, in fact, to the point that even 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul had to uh, make a remark that if someone comes among you preaching a different Jesus. <laughs> um, so even, even for 2,000 years ago, there were divergent answers of who Christ is, even flying around in culture a couple thousand years ago. If it was true then, it's certainly true now. So we think it's a worthwhile question ask, to ask, who is Jesus? Um, and yet, as simple as it is to phrase the question, it's not so simple to answer the question. So what we're trying to do in this study is try as best we can to root our feet in the history um, to the extent that we can in the story that Jesus inhabited 2,000 years ago um, in Palestine as the fulfillment of Israel's long-promised Messiah. What does that mean uh, for even to say that much? And so, but that's really what our effort is uh, in this study season. So today, 
we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that'll be familiar um, and see what we can make of it in terms of takeaways for answering our question. So I'm going to read the story, read the passage in full, uh, and then we're going to back up and see what we make of it. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. How cool is that? When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Almost as if she ignored his response. <laughs> We're moving forward. Um, verse 6. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the stewards tasted the water that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. <laughs> the party's just getting started. Jesus did this, John says, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. There's a story, Jesus turning water into wine. And I want to begin, at least initially, at the end of John's report. John uh, tags on intentionally, significantly, Jesus did this, the first of his signs. Now, my guess is, just to kind of point out, my guess is that when we read this story or think about this moment, our typical language for referring to this and things like this that Jesus did, um, we would typically use a different word. We would use a word like, well, it was a miracle. Jesus performed a miracle. Um, and so that just to say, John doesn't refer to this as a miracle. He refers to this as a sign. What might be the significance of that choice of word? So I want to start at the end and kind of ask the question, because I think this is what John is getting at by using the word sign to refer to this moment. What is the point of Jesus' miracles? What is the point of the signs? Signs and wonders sometimes they're called. What do they mean? What is the meaning? If you kind of step back and, and take all of these um, instances as a basketful, and you ask the question broadly, generally about all of them, because that's what John says, as the first of his signs, and it's a fun study through the Gospel of John to, to track the signs, the miraculous signs that John reports throughout his, the Gospel of John. What do they mean? What is the meaning of the signs, the miracles, the signs and wonders of Jesus? The common answer to that question, you may be familiar, uh, would be to say that the miraculous signs that Jesus performed their point is that they prove his divinity. They prove that Jesus was divine. Um, and I want to say, as we start, um, 
I want to suggest that to answer the question in that way um, is to err in two ways. First of all, it is to say too much, uh, and it is to say too little. Um, it, 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 to say that the point of the Jesus miracles is to prove that he is divine, uh, this says too much because Jesus isn't the only person that is reported to have performed miracles. Others did miracles as well. Um, and we don't, for example, insist that the prophet Elijah was divine um, because he did miracles. Also, this is to say too little, I think, because if the point and meaning of Jesus' miracles was to prove that he was divine, then frankly, I would say, um, he could have and should have done much more <laughs> uh, if, if that was the point. So in the end, this is simply not the meaning of Jesus' miraculous signs. And I think this goes to John's choice of word here, a sign. It's a sign. What, 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 it's a sign of what? This, this miraculous event and collectively with others, John would say they are signs. What is a sign? Well, on the outline, I have it like this, and I'm going to try to say it several different ways, but one way we could say it is that this sign is a moment when heaven and earth meet. In fact, to get started with the story of Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding at Cana, you really have to begin before the story, and it's what John reports to us just before he reports this story, this moment at Cana. John reports to us in chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, for John, the whole point of the signs is that these are moments when it is revealed to us, it's a sign, it signifies to us that heaven and earth are joining together in and around and through Jesus. In other words, they're not simply to be seen as things that could never happen in normal human life. That takeaway actually would be to miss the point as well. The point is that this is what it looks like when heaven and earth intersect, intertwine, and interlock with one another. In fact, John's larger overarching message the message that he wants to convey with his entire account of Jesus' life and ministry um, is that Jesus is the person in whom heaven and earth meet together. In fact, that's how John begins his report, right? John chapter 1, the word was with God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so John is making that point from beginning to end, that Jesus is the place in which heaven and earth have come together. And so the whole point of John's report is to make that point. In that light, then, these miracles, as we call them, can be seen just as well, uh, not as things that don't normally happen in ordinary life, but in light of the story that John's telling, we could actually say the opposite. We might even say that, oh, in fact, these occurrences, these are actually what's normal. This is what's normal when heaven and earth come together. 
as Jesus is introducing the inbreaking rule and reign of God, these signs indicate the new normal that's brought about when heaven and earth come together. It's actually, I think, when you look at it like that, it's really unfortunate that so many of Jesus' modern-day followers have become uncomfortable with this sort of thing. You read these stories in the Gospels and of these supernatural occurrences, as they're called. People today have become uh, uncomfortable with, with these stories. But I think when you, when you step back and realize what John is saying about who the person of Jesus is, that Jesus is heaven and earth joined together in a person, um, then it becomes uh, much more natural, I think, to say, well, it's not that this is what's not normal, it's that this is what is normal in the new normal. In the inbreaking rule and reign of God, this is what it looks like, right? So, so there's a broader perspective. Okay, so the story. Let's take the story then step by step. Uh, and see what takeaways there might be. First of all, we have what uh, could be called nothing short of a disaster at this wedding reception, right? The party is going on, and we run out of wine. For the host family, this is an absolute disaster. The entire village is there to celebrate. Even this upstart rabbi named Jesus, along with his followers, have been invited, and they're all there. Uh, and suddenly the there's run run out of wine. I mean, you can think about from the host perspective the embarrassment that they would face. This is going to be a story that's going to be told throughout the village for years and years and years. The newly married couple, historians suggest that the newly married couple might have interpreted this as kind of like a bad omen upon their, uh, upon their marriage. I mean, this is a social disaster on all kinds of levels as this party is running out of wine. One of our daughters got married recently, and so Georgia and I hosted a wedding. We hosted a wedding uh, reception, and, you know, in the planning and the run-up to the event, we wanted the occasion to be perfect for everybody, and that's not an under overstatement. We wanted it to be perfect. I mean, the food, the wine, the music, and dancing. We wanted everyone to have a great time, and a lot of people put a lot of work uh, into that. Um, and sure enough, it was a fantastic time. That wedding was an absolute blast. We had a great time. It was a wonderful celebration of, um, of two lives well lived and a new beginning for this, you know, for Micah and Jordan. And it was just a fantastic time. And I remember at one point during that uh, wedding reception as the party was happening and people were, you know, together and food and wine and all that. And I remember standing there uh, near the back corner with Georgia at one point, um, and I just felt so happy about it all. You know, everyone was having a great time, family members and friends and friends of family and everybody having a great time. And I was just thrilled, you know, about the time that everyone was having. And I can only imagine what I would have felt, you know, as the host if, you know, I don't know, if the food ran out or if the wine ran out or if the DJ, you know, I don't know, if, if something like that goes on. You know, you just, just ah, oh, what a, what a, you know, what a tragedy. The point of all that is to say... This story, this miracle at the wedding of Cana, um, is a story of Jesus rescuing the situation from a social disaster. 
right? I mean, somebody could say, well, you know, there's plenty of starving people and naked people that need clothing, and we need to get to some more significant, you know, relief efforts, you know. Um, so I think the first takeaway is to recognize that this sign, as John calls it, is an example of Jesus meeting the needs of people wherever those needs are. Meeting brokenness wherever it's found. And in this case, I don't know, we could boil it down to um, uh, embarrassment, social embarrassment, right? And this is, this is Jesus rescuing this family, this occasion, from that level, however you want to characterize it, from that level of disaster. And I would just add here before we move on, um, similarly, this same dynamic can be found in the examples of Jesus' miraculous physical healing. On one level, uh, a miraculous physical healing represents a broken body being restored, leprosy, paralysis, whatever that might be. Um, but on another level, maybe even a deeper level, um, to restore a broken body in the ancient world, and even today, is to restore a person's well-being, maybe. They can now return to work and earn a living. Uh, in the case of um, uh, leprosy, a person can now return to worship, return to the community, to the society. So, so even Jesus' physical healing can be seen in their social uh, ramifications as well, restored to the community, restored into late, uh, relationships and so on. And so Jesus is stepping in. Okay, so the next point um, here is that this is what happens when Jesus arrives. These, the water in these jars would have had an important purpose, right? Um, they would have been there for Jewish purification purposes. Washing hands was not about sanitation in the Jewish community. They signified the spiritual cleansing of God's people, which in turn signifies their nearness to God and God's acceptance of them. And so, for Jesus to divert these jars and this water for a different purpose other than ritual purification, this too has significance in and of itself within this story. Look what Jesus did. I mean, think about it. I tell you what, let's take these water jars that are here for purification purposes, take these water jars, and we're going to repurpose these, these jars for something else. Instead of using these jars for ritual purification, we're going to use these jars to, to keep the party going, right? So why would Jesus see fit to do that? Why would you suppose that Jesus would see fit to divert water jars and water that's present for purification purposes and use it instead for celebration? Use it instead for the continuation of family and friends mingling and celebrating together. Why would Jesus do that? Well, it asks, it, that leads to the broader question, why, who is Jesus? Who is he? Why has he come? What is Jesus inaugurating in history? Well, again, it goes to John's broader point. What Jesus is inaugurating is the coming together of heaven and earth in and around Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the joining together of heaven and earth, which includes all of humanity. So in other words, what John is showing us here is we don't need the water anymore. The water and its purification purposes, what the water signifies, symbolizes, and points to, meaning 
purification and therefore nearness to God by way of purification, what John is saying is this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God's embrace of all creation. Jesus is the coming together of heaven and earth. And so the repurposing of these jars for ritual purification purposes, for water, for ritual purification purposes, for Jesus to repurpose these jars is significant, and it points exactly to who John is telling us that Jesus is. And so, Jesus makes more wine to keep the party going. And notice that he doesn't just make just a polite little bit of wine. He makes an enormous amount of wine, a big party bunch of wine. Six jars, it says, of 20 to 30 gallons each. Do the math. Somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. Come on. <laughs> what kind of party needs that much wine? I mean, come, you know. But Jesus does it. Let's just say, let's go ahead and say, he makes 180 gallons of wine. Imagine that. 180 gallons. This is a big party. It's going to be a long party, right? So what is that about? Well, again, there's the coming together piece. But also, it, I think it's significant to kind of bear in mind as we focus in on this one story from John. But if you look broadly at the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, as Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, one of the frequent images and metaphors that Jesus uses um, to kind of pivot around uh, in describing the kingdom of God is he talks about a party, like a man throwing a banquet. And everyone is invited. The who'd have thought it's the, the, the stigmatized people. Everyone is invited, a man through a big party, and Jesus is actually physically in time and space um, demonstrating what he so often talks about in describing the kingdom of God like a party. Here it is in real, actual human experience. Celebration. It's what happens when Jesus arrives. Thirdly, let's talk about new creation. Notice how this story begins. John begins the story right off the bat in chapter 2. It says, on the third day. Now, this is curious language, um, and I think it's worth noting, and it's worth assuming that John is very intentional in everything that he writes. Curious language, it sounds more than a little bit like language we've heard before somewhere in these scriptures. Where have we heard talk like that before? On the first day, on the second day, on the third day, and thus and so, on the fourth day, on the fifth day. Where have we heard that before? Does it sound familiar? Yes, it does, because this is how the story of creation is told in the book of Genesis. What in the world would that mean for John to draw upon the form of the way the Genesis creation story is told for John to draw upon that form and use that kind of language in his telling of the story of Jesus. Why would John tell us the story of Jesus using language that reminds his readers of creation? I'm telling you the story of Jesus. I'm reminding you of Genesis 1, creation. I'm telling you the story of Jesus, and I'm reminding you of creation. And even more overtly, if you have your Bible, if you want to look at this later, um, the way John begins his report of Jesus, the first three words of John, 
the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. He begins, in the beginning. Where have we heard those three words before? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. What's going on here? What is John saying with all of these references? Well, obviously, he is retelling the story of creation in and through Jesus. What does this mean? What it means is John is saying to us that this is, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to heal creation, to renew creation. John the Revelator in Revelation 21 says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. All creation being remade, healed, restored through Jesus. John says, when he reports this story to us, he says, on the third day, this is new creation. Now, that is an enormous amount to say. For us to say that John is saying that who Jesus is, is the remaking, the renewing of all of creation. Because the realists that we are, we look at that, we take that proposal, that proposition, that claim, and we say honestly something like, okay, we, we, we still got a long way to go. <laughs> we still got a long way to go. The world is, remains very, very broken. So what's going on with that? Well, you guys know where, where this is going. What we have actually in the whole story of Jesus in the New Testament is this sense of the inbreaking rule and reign of God is both already and what we say not yet. It's already and it's not yet. The rule and reign of God is breaking in now and it is yet to be fully fulfilled. That would be the entire story when you put everything that we have in the New Testament together. And in the middle of that, already and not yet, there is yet another element in this story that speaks to our posture, our role um, in, the, in the between. In, uh, we're, we're somewhere after the already and we're somewhere before the not yet, right? And so what goes on in between there? Well, in a word, participation. What hope in Jesus looks like is participation in the program of Christ here and now. You see, you could say it this way. Transformation, in the case of the story of the wedding at Cana, transformation happened when someone took Mary's message seriously. Her message was, do whatever he tells you to do. And when someone took that directive seriously, bam, transformation began. Healing, recovery, change for the better, however you want to abstract it from that story. It happens when we participate with the inbreaking rule and reign of God. Mary said, do what he tells you to do, and that's where transformation began. And so you can think of it like this. Because of what God has done in Christ, 
altogether. We know where history is going. We know that the inbreaking rule and reign of God is the inauguration of what is to come fully and completely. And so over and over and over again, what the writers uh, of the New Testament, at least, and per, you probably even find this theme uh, in the Jewish scriptures, what they're pleading with us for over and over and over again is to live now in the way that the world will be fully and completely when the rule and reign of God is fully and finally established. Live now in advance according to the full and final renewal of all creation. That is the single best way to understand what we might call, um, what we might call uh, ethics, uh, Christian ethics, the ethics of the Apostle Paul, for example. The best way to understand that is that he's calling his churches to live now in the way that the world, which is still broken, will fully be when the kingdom is fully established. We are called to live that way now. And in a word, it is participation. And we see that right here in this story of the wedding at Cana. And then finally, uh, the last bit is the obvious bit of transformation. Transformation. Changed for the better by the presence of God. Often in scripture, the idea of a vessel or a jar, in this case, in the story of Cana, a vessel or a jar is used as a metaphor for a human life. And also, wine is associated with, you know, think about it, abundance, richness, joy, God's, forgive, uh, God's provision, and God's blessing. And so, if we look at it like that and take a step back and look at what we're seeing here in this story, this can be seen as a picture of transformation of a human life by the presence of God. And this is the sort of transformation that John will go on to tell about throughout his report of Christ. He will tell this kind of story again and again and again throughout the Gospel of John, this sort of transformation that Jesus does in life after life after life from bland like water to rich and full like wine from vacant like an empty vessel to abundant and filled to the full like those jars after Jesus got done with them from shame like the host family like what might have been welling up within the host family at this wedding celebration from shame to glory <laughs> being thrilled suddenly about what's happening at the party this is the kind of transformation that we see Jesus have on life after life after life from wounded to healed and whole John's gonna say a few chapters later he's gonna tell us Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly to the full. Life to overflowing. So, who is Jesus? Well, this is Jesus. Shows up at a wedding celebration, running out of wine. And on one level, he turns water into wine to keep the party going. On another level, this is an instance of the inbreaking new creation of God. Restored life, people, and everything 
in creation. Let's pray. Father,